It's Wednesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are as well. Happy first day of spring. Uh, Actually, no, it's the end of January, but it feels like it out there. Enjoy it while it lasts is what I'll say to that. And uh, good show coming up. Um, Just a little bit here. Chip Scoggins will join me from the Star Tribune. Talk to him on a number of subjects. The Timberwolves, a little bit of... uh, a little bit of Twins talk as well, plus a tiny bit of Vikings TJ Hawkinson discussion at the end of uh, our segment as well. So look forward to that in a little bit. Got some additional Wolves thoughts at the end, some ridiculousness from the NBA and their two-minute report after the end of that Wolves-Oklahoma City game saying, no, that wasn't a foul when Shy Gilgis-Alexander grabbed Ant's arm on his dunk, the play that made Ant extra mad um it'll make him extra extra mad to hear that no upon further review when they looked at it when they had every opportunity to look at it that we all did they said nope that wasn't a foul grabbing the arm on a dunk i guess is is okay now in the nba as long as it's happening to the wolves not um against uh, not not the wolves doing it so get to that a little bit at the end of the show as well as some favorable matchups in tonight's game for the wolves first though what i miss Went down a rabbit hole. Um, I'll admit it. I got uh, I got sucked into a kind of a three part trilogy of off season quarterbacks in the NFL. I know it's January, right? It's January still. What am I doing? This process has months to play out. Kirk Cousins won't be a free agent officially for another month and a half. The draft isn't for about three months, but still, here I am looking at three things, trying to make the math work, trying to understand where this is all headed. Looking at a ESPN's ranking of the top 50 free agents in the NFL, which was interesting to me. B, thinking through which teams in the NFL have true quarterback needs and which ones will be looking for perhaps free agents, draft picks, whatnot, and what teams have cap space to address those quarterback concerns. That that kind of vertex, that kind of overlapping Venn diagram kind of sets the market for Kirk Cousins and kind of gives you an idea of where this could be headed. So ESPN's listing of the top 50 free agents in the NFL, two quarterbacks on the entire list. Maybe that's not shocking because really good quarterbacks don't generally make it to free agency. Um, Remember when Kirk Cousins signed here six years ago, it was a surprise that someone of his caliber was a true free agent. Well, Kirk Cousins, even coming off his Achilles injury, even at age, you know, his age 36 season coming up, number three on the entire board, according to ESPN, number three and surely the best quarterback available in free agency. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty high. That shows you where he is regarded, at least on this list, shows you kind of where he sits in the market. Clearly the best quarterback available as a free agent, at least if we believe this, at least in terms of who might actually be available. Only other quarterback on that list was Baker Mayfield at number 13. He seems reasonably likely to go back to Tampa Bay, more certain, I would say, than Cousins going back to Minnesota. So that sets the free agency market. That sets the picture of where everybody is at in terms of 
shuffling the deck. If someone's going to go after a quarterback in free agency and has the cap space, it is going to be a team probably pursuing Kirk Cousins if they believe they have a window to win of two to three years. Who could spend that much money? Who And who are the quarterback needy teams? Let's talk about the quarterback needy teams first. <clears throat> I've got the Falcons, the Bears, the Broncos, Vegas, the Vikings, New England, Washington, Tampa Bay, and maybe Pittsburgh, although Kenny Pickett was a first-round pick just a couple years ago. They've got something invested in him. I don't know if they would really go this route so soon, and they've got some possible backups. So let's talk about eight or nine teams with that possibility of you know trying to draft or trade for or sign a free agent this offseason. Now, who is going to be available? Who could be a starter next year that's available either in the draft, free agency, or potentially via trade? Kirk Cousins, obviously in that mix as far as free agents go. So does ba- so is Baker Mayfield, although if we match him up with Tampa Bay, that's a pretty easy one-for-one. One. Russell Wilson, probably going to get cut by the Broncos. Like I said, they have a need perhaps at quarterback. Um, so that's kind of a one-for-one, one-in, one-out Garner Minshew could be an option for somebody, um, you know, and that would mean, but that doesn't mean Indianapolis needs anybody because they obviously have Anthony Richardson, who got hurt this past season, and Minshew filled in nicely there. Um, Justin Fields probably going to be a starter somewhere next year if if the Bears take Caleb Williams, they'll trade Justin Fields somewhere, and then you've got the three kind of blue chip quarterback prospects Caleb Williams Drake May and Jaden Daniels probably going to be year one starters if not day one starters you would imagine they would be taking over pretty soon in next year and that's going to be a team's starting you know starting likely caliber player right away so you've got eight teams eight or nine teams eight guys probably in that mix so Kirk Cousins has an opportunity to go somewhere else, but the Vikings are, of course, one of those potential quarterback needy teams, and Kirk Cousins would fit in there. Now, the Vikings could do both, right? They could get Kirk Cousins back in the fold for like a two-year deal and draft somebody, maybe not at 11, maybe down at 42. I see one spot in ESPN says they could take J.J. McCarthy at 42 if he fell that far. I don't know what the Vikings want to do there. I I feel like that's kind of a half measure, but anyway, that's a possibility for them. So now let's establish what teams could even go after Kirk Cousins or are likely to go after Kirk Cousins in the free agency market. So the teams I listed were, again, just to recap, the teams I listed that need quarterbacks next year, Atlanta, Chicago, Denver, Vegas, Vikings, New England, Washington, Tampa Bay, maybe the Steelers. Now, who of those teams would be likely to to get to get one in free agency. Probably not the Bears. They've got the number one overall pick. Probably not Denver because Denver's in cap cap jail basically because of that bad Russell Wilson contract. Maybe Vegas. That's an interesting one to think about. Um, may, probably Atlanta. Atlanta's in a good spot to maybe be a bidder for Kirk Cousins. The Vikings too. New England, I don't think so. They got a top three pick. They're not going to use it on. Um, not going to use uh, cap space on a quarterback. Same with New England. They have they have a top three pick. They can get one of those top three guys. Washington is interesting. They have the cap space and potentially the need. I don't know if that would be a reunion spot for Kirk Cousins though. But that one makes sense from a certain standpoint. Tampa Bay doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because. 
If you're going to go with a veteran, again, you probably go with Baker Mayfield. Steelers, I, I just don't see that as a fit from a cap situation standpoint. So looking at the cap space, um, you're looking at Washington has the most cap space next year. So that'd be a team to watch if they would, if they made a big play six years later for Kirk Cousins. That just doesn't seem like a likely scenario in my mind, but you never know. Then you're also talking about um, a team like <clears throat> talking about a team like the Raiders with $36 million in cap space, that's a possibility. And the Falcons, they've got $25 million in cap space. Obviously, Cousins is going to cost more than that. But if you have that much cap space, you can make the money work. Vikings, also around $25 million, So they can make this work. They've got $28 million on the books right now for Kirk Cousins in 2024 in dead money. A restructure, a new deal would probably, you know, would probably make that number right around the same or even a little bit less and could push some money into the future. So how this all plays out is just fascinating to me. I don't think we're going to know this for a while, but just kind of laying this all out there, seeing that there's only really, you know, outside of the Vikings, there's really only two or three teams that really would be interested and able to get Kirk Cousins, even if he's the top quarterback free agent available, seeing how the draft plays out and that the top three guys, you know, the Vikings are really hurt because all three of the teams with those top three picks that could take those three best quarterbacks, all three of them need quarterbacks. That's kind of rare, right? Usually a team has bottomed out and they need a quarterback at the top of that draft, but usually there's like one or two that maybe played a rookie quarterback and you know don't need that quarterback in that second year or picking high again that would be Carolina this year but Carolina owes the Bears that number one overall pick that means the Bears have a quarterback need that means Washington has a quarterback need that means New England has a quarterback need it's going to be hard for the Vikings to jump into the top three when all three of those teams have quarterback needs so that's what's kind of driving this market right now the Vikings are kind of in a spot where their best option might be go back to Kirk Cousins for another couple of years and draft somebody else at 42 or trade down from 11 and, and still be able to draft a quarterback if you like somebody enough to invest that. That's the bigger question, too. Do they like someone enough to invest that much in that pick? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I, I'm interested in the market for Kirk Cousins through all of this exercise, kind of the the stature of Cousins versus the kind of small market of teams that would be in the in the interested in a quarterback and how that is going to impact how this all plays out in a couple months. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's bring in Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune columnist, to talk about a bunch of things. Chip, at the Star Tribune, Chip, you are certainly one of the adults in the room. I think we have a pretty, uh, pretty mature group at the Star Tribune, but... Um, I don't know if I'd call you the Mike Conley Jr. of the Star Tribune, but you you are you're you're you do hold things together in a certain way. But I don't think we need that entirely from you. The way that the Wolves have seemed to need Mike Conley Jr. outside of Monday. Now let's talk about Monday's game because I think you wrote about it. I wrote about it. That was a big one to me. Yep. Your take on the Wolves beating Oklahoma City without Mike Conley Jr. Yeah, and as a, as a good segue about uh, maturity, that 
that storyline and, and the fact that the last two weeks in the Wolves, you know, this kind of mini funk that they've been in uh, has become a referendum on the maturity has sort of driven me crazy because this team should be beyond that, right? This is not a young team. Yeah. Uh, this is a team last year that we all said was not serious, that they couldn't be taken serious the way they uh, disrespected games and didn't show up for others and district, you know, lost to, to really bad teams. I felt like they were moved beyond that this year and had a renewed sense of purpose. And so the fact that, and Mike Conley's great. He's, you know, a true yes. pro and, and, and all the accolades he deserves. But does that mean that everything has to unravel if he misses a couple games and they just kind of fall apart and the offense and just looks chaotic? It shouldn't be that way. And so that to me was the biggest thing about Monday night's win at Oklahoma city was Mike Conley didn't play in the fourth quarter. You saw a team that played maturely. Um, we all talk about Ant's dunk, and that was spectacular. But I looked to a couple plays before that. I know the one he was going to drive. There wasn't anything there, and he kicked it to the corner to Jaden McDaniels for a three. That's the winning basketball play. Instead of going in there one on three or one on four and trying to force up a shot or have a turnover, like that is how they can win. And I thought he was under control. The defense was spectacular, uh, as they typically are. Uh, Finch had a very Chris Finch had a very bad game against San Antonio with his combinations and rotations, particularly at the start of the fourth quarter, where he put a bunch of non-shooters on on the floor together. Yeah, I think he he learned from that. His combinations last night made sense and put them in favorable matchups. And so I, I, I there was so much about that game I liked. And as we were talking about before coming on here, they needed that in the worst way because the air around the team was starting to feel heavy. Yeah, and it, fair or not, like this is a, this is a fan base with more scars than you can count, and in, in, and frankly, years where the there wasn't emotional wear and tear because they were just so laughably bad that nobody even cared about them. Yeah. So to then be the team that went thirty and eleven in the first half of the season, that you know is on pace for sixty wins, and then to have couple of those bad losses kind of reminding you of last year, the Charlotte game, the San Antonio game, even some of those games they won where they didn't really close things out in satisfying fashion. Some of those without Conley started to feel you're right. Like last year started to feel like before they got Conley, when, when D'Angelo Russell was the point guard, not, again, not to speak entirely ill of D'Lo, like he's a good basketball player, but there was an, an immaturity about this team when he was the, uh, when, when he was the, uh, when he was the point guard. So yeah, to, to, to win this game without Conley is, is important. And it kind of feels like it restored, like you said, some of the swagger to the team, but also like the, okay, fans can feel, okay. Yeah. Maybe it's just for a little while. Maybe they will be, you know, back in panic mode and, and with, with the next loss, but yeah. it feels like they kind of needed that to make people think, okay, yeah. All right. This, this is still a really good team. Um, They've got some. They've still got some things to go through, but but they kind of righted the ship. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they need it for the fans to kind of excel and, and feel better about where things are going. But I think they need it for themselves because they were just not playing well. The turnovers they had, you know, they had a few the other night, but they I think they had thirteen, twelve or thirteen for the game, and it wasn't. Um, they weren't the ones that just, you know, you had 
a bunch of empty possessions in the fourth quarter where you weren't doing anything. And, and I like the way that this game went back and forth. And yes, yeah. the Thunder was on a back-to-back, but I think they rested <clears throat> some of their, their uh, key players the night before when they had a really bad performance themselves. So it was a it was a a game where they had to grind it out, and it went back and forth, and they needed to make clutch plays. And so I think they needed that for themselves because was it last week that Chris Finch called their their performance disgusting or immature? Yeah. It was after the um, Charlotte loss when Cat had sixty two, but they went you know they just got kind of careless in the fourth quarter and lost. Yeah, so I think they need to, for themselves to kind of show themselves how they get back to how they know they can play playing the right way, uh, taking care of the ball more than they have been uh, of late. Uh, I think you saw the defensive effort from Gobert and McDaniels particularly uh, was outstanding, and that that kind of sets the tone. And you, you saw J-Mac come in and make a, a key contribution. Some of the guys that, uh, you know, Finch went away from Shake Milton in this where he's been in the rotation and really struggling. I mean, that's what people have been clamoring for. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how long Kyle Anderson, you know, keeps playing an integral part here because his offense has really uh, struggled this year. So some of that's still trying to figure out. I think Finch in his mind, like, eh, can this guy be trusted? You know, is he going to be part of the thing? And that's something to be uh, sorted out. But to me, it comes back to your stars, Edwards and Towns and playing the right way and playing together the right way. And when they do that, combined with their defense, and then when you get Mike Conley back, I think we're going to see that team we saw in November and December because they're too they're too talented and too good defensively to have the the kind of you know sloppy performances that we've seen the last two weeks. They do seem to have the right mix. That said, I also wonder like what sort of information beyond maturity they're hoping to get from these kind of minutes without Conley. He's, I think he's missed four of the last five. He had you know, a game of rest. He had a game of the illness. Now they're saying t- hamstring tightness. Um, you know, trade deadline's about a week away. You know, I, I have a hard time figuring out exactly what this team needs, aside from they could probably use more shooting, a little bit more offense, but at the expense yeah. of what? Like, if, if you're sitting there kind of picking, you know, Picking the ideal trade, do you, do you did you learn anything from these handful of Conley free games as to what what might you might want to add? Well, always you always want more shooting, right? Um, here's the question: Do you might do you trust J Mac as that second team point guard, or do you trust um, what Nikhil Walker, Nikhil Alexander Walker yeah. too? I mean, he's yeah kind of been your starting point guard when Conley's out. He's not really a point guard, but do you, is that enough? I guess that's the question. Is that yeah, enough? I, I I don't know. Uh, J-Mac played great last night. I mean, the threes were obviously important, but I think he got him in offenses and initiated well. It's just, I mean, we saw him struggle in the playoffs last season. So, I, I yeah, I still think if I was Tim Conley, I'd be looking for guard help to give, you know, a veteran presence that, you know, if Conley's out, you have somebody that you feel comfortable with, or um, when he's, you know, you go to your bench that you feel like you have a reliable option there. Yeah, that that feels that feels right to me. I think they hope that would be Shake Milton, and they don't have a whole lot of assets to trade. I mean, they, you do start to wonder, like, as an expiring contract, you have Kyle Anderson. He's still got value though. Like he's 
he's not had a great first, you know, 45, 46 games of the season, but he was really good for them a year ago. He kind of held yeah. that thing together. He's insurance against any kind of injury to any of your other three big men that are getting, you know, most of the big man minutes. Would you consider him someone you would trade? Well, it's interesting because I really liked him last year. Yeah, he was great. And, he, and his struggles this year, you know, really, uh, and the impact it has on the offense, it really gives you pause about, you know, because it's been extended. This is not just like one bad week, right? Um, it, it gives you pause about, man, how, is he going to help you down the stretch? Is there something going on here? Is it, um, is it something he can get past? Can you trust him as you go down the stretch? So, I know Finch loves, the, you know, the, con, the you know the contributions that he can bring in different areas, but but the, his struggles offensively are just glaring and alarming, and so. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, do you say, would I be willing to trade him? Yeah, I mean, listen, see what you, you know, what the offers are there. Um, I don't know what the value would be there in terms of what you get in return. But I still think if you can, if you can add a veteran guard, uh, I think that would, you'd feel a lot better about, you know, your second unit and being able to, when you do go to the bench, that the offense is not just going to, you know, fall apart and you, you're not going to have options out there. You have to go for it in a certain regard, right? Not like, yeah. not like, hey, this is our only chance. Blow it all, you know, everything into this year. No, you know, the future be damned. But you know, these opportunities don't come all that often, right? Like the West is good, but kind of open. Like Denver's still really good. They're going to be the team to beat when the playoffs come along, even if they're not the number one seed. Whoever the number one seed is, Oklahoma City is intriguing. The Clippers are really coming on strong, but there's not like that one team where you're like. Ah, they could never compete with them. Why does it even matter? Like they, it's it's open enough, at least to win a playoff series or two. That you know, a franchise that hasn't had a lot of that success and wants to take a step, this is a year to do it. Well, and, and Mike, they're you know they got the best record in the West, yes. and it's not been a fluke. Um, and that clock started ticking the moment they made the trade for Gobert. Yes, so that was that was not done with four years down the road in mind. Like this is this was not a competitive rebuild. They made that bold decision to bring in Gobert because they wanted to win now, contend now. And so this is their window. And when you look at these uh, the contract situation and and all the big, you know, financial commitments that they made to this roster, <coughs> this is a this is a, a front office that's saying we expect to be good now and contend now. And so you say you have to, you know, think big. I just don't know what with their, you know, with their contract situation, situations yeah. and like what kind of moves could you make. But I think the expectation should absolutely be uh, high based on the way they played the first half of the season and also what this roster is because that was the other thing about – I go back to that maturity. It's like, you know, they're being immature and this is like, well, this is not a young team. No, it's not. I mean, not at all. This is not a young team anymore. I mean, the guys that have been together for a long time – uh, or been, you know, the core towns has been here, you know, a long time. Mike Conley's a veteran, Rudy yeah. Bears. I mean, these are, this is an established group of veterans here. Uh, and even though Ant's young, he's played a lot of NBA this basketball, fourth, right? This is his fourth year for him and McDaniels. They're not young by yeah. NBA standards anymore. They have no. experience. Exactly. And so, uh, that's why I think, yeah, I mean, the expectation should be that whatever it takes to make this team good, 
as they head into the playoffs or better as they head into the playoffs, they have a legitimate chance to really do some, you know, make some noise. And that, that's what they need to, uh, to do to the extent that Conley can do that with all the different yeah. you know, contracts he has. One more probably guard solid rotation player is probably like the, what, what you're, what we're asking for here. Like that's, that feels like one more guy that you really trust, not like a, Hey, let's try this. Probably going to be pretty good on most nights. That doesn't, that's scary in the playoffs. You got to have trust yeah. in the playoffs. And don't you think, Mike, that we've, we've focused so much on their offense because it's without Conley, it's been disjointed. It's been um, the fourth quarter offense has not been good. The turnovers are, you know, maddening. I feel like they can clean it up, but I feel like this team is predicated on being really good defensively. And if that's the starting point for who you are, that that gives you, I, th- I think, something to really – feel good about going into the second half of the season in the playoffs. Yeah. And our colleague, Jim Suhan wrote about this. I don't know. It was a while ago, but like Tyus Jones, I know he's one, he's one of us, but he, you know, everything, every time I think of what they could use, it's kind of someone like him or him, him specifically. Yeah. If you could find a way to get Tyus here, uh, I think you, you know, you do what you do that because he would make you, he would feel a lot of, uh, uh, holes or anxiety or whatever you have about, uh, you know, that, that part of the, the equation. Yeah, I think so too. A um, couple more things I want to pick your brain on before we go kind of on the subject of trades still. And this isn't a potential trade. This is a trade that happened this week. Jorge Polanco to the Mariners twins get a bunch back, maybe more, at least more in volume than I imagined Jorge Polanco would, would fetch at this stage of his career, you know, two. They get two pitchers who were, you know, were major league contributors last year. You know, the starter didn't have a great year, but he's had better years in the past. He's 33. The reliever they get, you know, is kind of maybe maybe is the kind of one year wonder guy, but could be, a, you know, a seventh eighth inning solution. And then two prospects, one of whom is, you know, top five in the organization. That was more than I thought they were going to get for Jorge Polanco. Yeah, and it's you know, obviously Polanco has been a productive. Uh, player for for them for a while here and and anytime you lose that uh, you know it's, it's it, you know it's tough but there was a uh, log jam there and with Brooks Lee I think it's going to be going to contribute to that log jam uh, he was at AAA last year and then one of the top prospects and so you got a clear path for him somehow um, and so to get pitching back in return. Uh, the reliever is coming off. Uh, I forget his name right off the top of my head, but he's coming off a career year for him. You know, is that something that he can sustain again this year? This this feels like a good uh, return that Falvey got for Polanco for Agreed. a guy that you know. I think most people looked at him and Kepler as the most uh, logical choices to move. Yes, we'll see if Kepler's still here, but um, I, I think they got a good return for that. Considering, you know, this this TV deal and not knowing how much money, you know, you're going to have to spend because of the lack of clarity there is. I don't want to give them a blanket pass for their inactivity this offseason. But but you have to factor in, you know, that part of the equation that you're you're missing a big chunk of uh, money that you otherwise know what you're going to have. And so uh, so this trade gets some money back. Brings in two, you know, the, the starter pitcher is going to be slotted in probably as your number five or a depth guy, uh, and then you, you help your bullpen. So uh, I, I think they probably 
are happy with what they got coming back. Relief pitcher is Justin Topa, and the starter is Anthony DiSclafini. Um, yeah, both those guys, like, in their early, mid-30s, like, veteran guys, um, you know, kind of not rolls of the dice, but both, you know, one of them just had the one year, but it's really good. And the starter, Anthony DiSclafini, is a guy who wasn't very good last year, had some injuries in 22, was really good in 21. It could be kind of like, is it, are they catching him on the right year? And sometimes that's what it is with these guys, right? Like, you just don't know yeah. the exact year you're going to get from some of these, you know, lower roster guys. They got a lot of really good years from guys like that last year that kind of covered for how injured, you know, Byron Buxton was, how injured Carlos Correa was, even though he was in the lineup, he just wasn't as productive as much as they missed Royce Lewis. Like they had a lot of guys who stepped in your Donovan Solano's, you know, Willie Castro's guys like that, who had probably exceeded expectations. They kind of need that from pitching this year. If they're not going to go and do a one for one replacement for Sonny Gray. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to replace you. They're not going to go out and their trade uh, chips are not going to net you Sonny Gray. You're just not, in, I mean, not unless not, you dip into that prospect pool. And, and and I don't think they're willing to part with the Brooks Lee or one of their top prospects no. at this point. I wouldn't either. Um, yet they Their track record has been, you know, some misses and some hits uh, in terms of those gamble on guys that are veterans that have been up and down in their career. So you don't really know which guy you're getting. You, you know, they're hopeful that they will get the positive, but we've seen a lot of misses on that side too. So, uh, but I, I don't think I would be willing to, part ways with a Brooks Lee because um, I don't know that you're going to get that frontline pitcher. That's what Sonny provided them. And that's, no. you know, a side young type uh, level performance. You, I just don't believe you're going to get that. Now they did get, um, you know, a pretty good prospect from, you know, guys, number five in the Mariners, uh, ranks right now gabriel gonzalez that's you know it's another possible trade chip or makes you feel better about your future depth but yeah i think i think you're right i, I don't it's going to be interesting I, I just pitching was so much of their strength last season it's kind of like thinking about the wolves and defense where you can't imagine them trading away or kind of going away from that strength at, at any point but it's going to be hard for them to duplicate what they do last year unless you know i had glenn perkins on last week he's big on not a bounce back year, but a but a full good year from Joe Ryan. And if you think Joe Ryan is your number two starter, then maybe you're going to be okay there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there are guys that they have belief in that have shown flashes of uh, being the type of pitchers that they envision, but you just don't have the full body of right. a resume where you're like, okay, we feel you know ninety five percent sure that this is what he's going to produce. Um, they're hopeful and, and guys, you know, if Joe Ryan can have that bounce back, then you feel a lot better. But um, I don't think it's one of those ones that you, you know, it's a slam dunk. You know what you're going to get. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking insured by NCUA. Final thing, I think a Viking storyline we're not talking about enough, Chip, is the TJ Hawkinson torn ACL, MCL uh, towards the end of the season. He just had his surgery Monday, the team announced. So that was January 29th. That puts him about six months out from training camp from the time of the surgery. I don't. How much is he going to be able to contribute next year? That's, that's a pretty aggressive timeline if you're hoping for anything more than 
a handful of games from him next year, even with how fast these guys can come back from ACLs these days. Yeah, and I assume this was the plan all along based on reports from what Ben Gessling wrote that they wanted the MCL injury to heal right. itself first before they did the surgery, which I, I guess is standard procedure. Um, yeah, this is uh, – you can just envision you get the camp and he has to open up on the pup or whatever because it's just that that, that timeline would be awfully aggressive to, uh, to be ready to go. So these – you know, those injuries – tend to take longer than you, you know, you, you think uh, they might. And hopefully he's, you know, his rehab goes smoothly and um, he can get back, you know, uh, quicker than, you know, maybe we're expecting, but I, is he going to be ready for opening game? Seven and a half months. I don't know. I I don't know that he was going to sit here and say that. So it, it, you know, and then, We've seen it time and time again. It just takes time for coming off that injury, the ACL, and then you had the you know the MCL with it to get back to where he was and feel like he's regained the confidence, the strength, the, all those things. It just takes time, and so uh, it may be a little disjointed for him at the start of next season. Yeah, and whoever's throwing him the ball, I mean, that's just a, it's a big part of their offense. Like he caught so many passes for them, ninety plus catches this past year. Caught a ton of balls after he caught out, came over in that mid-year trade. I think like sixty and ten games when he came over in that mid-year deal from Detroit. I mean, I don't know. It's an under. I think it's an undervalued part of the off-season conversation. It's like they got all these guys that are deciding about Kirk Cousins, they're deciding about you know, got to give Jefferson his extension. What they're going to do with Neil Hunter? Are they going to finally draft anybody worth anything aside from Jordan Addison? But Hawkinson, I don't know. I worry about that if I'm them because he's a big part of their offense, and if he's missing for half the year or more than that, I don't like their chances early on, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you know you have to find somebody that's going to feel you know step up and take that production that he gave you. But you know, this is a guy that you've invested a lot of money in already, and so uh, you have to think long term with him and his health and his future. And you can't rush. Not that they would anyways, no. but you can't you can't rush that recovery. But that is a big chunk of the offense that you're taking out that has to be made up somewhere else by, you know, someone. And so, yeah, but again, I, you know, we'll see how how much of the offense or how much of the season uh, he possibly can miss. But I think it's more guys don't really feel like themselves uh, right away. Even when they're cleared to play, it just takes time for them to get back to who they are. And so we'll see how long that process takes. We will. We'll see how the Wolves do. We'll see if the Twins make more moves. I'm sure we'll have you on again soon, Chip. But until then, enjoy a little bit of time off. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Mikey. See you, man. Really good stuff from Chip, as always. Um, always happy to bring him onto the show, talking about a bunch of stuff. Circling back to the Timberwolves, let's finish with the cooler. Two things. Number one, like I referenced at the beginning of the show, NBA came out with its two-minute report. They always they do these things where they kind of look at the last two minutes of every game. And, you know, I don't know why they don't do this with the whole game. Like, make the whole plane out of the black box kind of thing. Like, why don't you evaluate the entire game? I get it that things get magnified in the final two minutes, but why not look at all the calls in the first 46 as well? Anyway, they do a two-minute report to kind of see if there was some egregious or missed calls in that time. Obviously, there usually are referees, you know, officials are human, things like that. This is the galling thing, though. They say 
that um, Shai Gilgus Alexander, who, quote, brought his hand down towards Anthony Edwards. This was a dunk with about 158 left in the game, so it barely made the two-minute report. If Wolves fans, if Edwards were hoping to get some sort of sorry, we missed the call there, there should have been an and one when he dunked the ball against the against the Thunder the other night. In that win, by the way, the Wolves won the game, so it's it's you know it's not like this you know, oh, what could have been if, if this had been called kind of moment, but um, Ant clearly got fouled on the play. He, he got hit on the arm as he was as he was going to the hoop, and he yelled for a foul as he was going off. He was mad. You know, Shai Gilgos Alexander shot 16 free throws in that game. Ant's mad about that already. So, at the very least, this two-minute report gives you a chance to say, whoops, we messed up. Our bad. We'll try to get it better next time. Instead, the two-minute report says Shai Gilgos Alexander, quote, brings his hand towards Edwards' arm, and the contact during the shot near the rim is marginal. Marginal contact. Marginal contact. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. It's not marginal to me. Um, that that contact seemed pretty marginal. I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but the, uh, Wolves fans were up in arms. They were you know showing. Showing the, the you know the still image of Shai Gilgis, Alexander, Shai Gilgis Alexander basically holding on to Ant's left arm as he's going up for the dunk. I don't know. People people want to get mad about this. I, I think it's it's reasonable to get mad about this. It's reasonable to let it go at a certain point. Chris Hine had a good piece in today's Star Tribune and online about you know Edwards' quest to get more foul calls, how he's been trying to get that, how he wants that star treatment, which he probably deserves based on how he's played this year, how he wants to get those calls. And maybe this was frustration on his part more than anything, but yeah, marginal contact felt like more than marginal contact to me. Um, but you know what? They won the game anyway, so we'll see. You know, we'll see. This is probably just a, a one-day story. They'll let it go at a certain point, at least until they play Oklahoma City again, which would have to be the playoffs because they're done playing in the regular season. Maybe there would be a bunch more games. That would be a fun series if it happened in the postseason. Now, Wolves' quest to get there goes against Dallas tonight, a much easier task than it usually would be. Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving out for this game. Both of them missing in action. Wolves a huge favorite now. And that's big because this is the last regular season meeting between these teams as well. Wolves have a 2-1 season series edge. Would have any kind of home court advantage should these teams meet in a, you know, in kind of any kind of tiebreaker, any kind of situation later um, if they win this game. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, an easier test, obviously, with no Luka, no Kyrie for Dallas. Mike Conley might play, might not play. He's still questionable. He's got that hamstring. He's missed a few games here with various things, rest, illness, ailments, things like that. I'm curious what's going on there. I want to see if they're going to add something at the deadline like Chip and I talked about. But for right now, what's in front of them is Dallas and a much diminished Dallas team from what you might normally find. That will do it for me today. Bobby Nightingale Jr. is going to join me on Thursday's show to talk Twins, Polanco trade what's yet to come this offseason so stick around for that on thursday until then have a great rest of your wednesday back at it again tomorrow